Good morning. Let's just stay in that place for just one minute, hey? Why don't you just close your eyes wherever you are? Father, we thank you that you are here. We thank you for your presence. Lord, we thank you that you're always with us. That's your promise to us, that whatever we walk through, you'd be by our side. We thank you, Lord, that we can take comfort in that this morning. And I pray that as we unpack your word and unpack what's going on in our hearts, that you'd help us. You'd help us come to terms with our past, who we are, who we think we are, who you say we are. And Father, I thank you that you are leading us into a future of hope, of faith, and of love. Be with us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You're a handsome bunch. And you guys are handsome as well. Quite dark up there. Cameras in the midst. I got a question for you. You guys can be seated. Thank you. How good? How good? The qu- that wasn't the question. That's not a question. My question is, why would anybody choose to preach? Why would you do that? Lots of you are thinking, I know. <laughs> I don't know why you do it. I heard of a study... Uh, that, that said speaking in front of a crowd is considered the number one fear of the average person. I found that amazing. Number two was death. Death was number two. So that means that if you have to go to a funeral, you'd rather be in the casket than doing the eulogy. <laughs> I want to talk about fear this morning. I've been preaching for a long time. Like 16 years I've been doing this. And still, on Saturday, I sort of ask myself, oh man, why do I have this ever-increasing sense of dread? And then I remember that I'm preaching the next day, and there's a weight that comes with it. But, so, why would you do it? Why would you preach? I do it anyway, and this morning I want to talk about Why? Why would you do something that you're afraid of, that you get a sense of dread? Now, I'm, I'm okay now, you know. You know how it's really awkward when somebody gets up on stage to do a speech and the first thing is like, I'm really nervous. It's just, I'm not doing that, okay? I'm just establishing that sometimes when you are doing something meaningful, you still can have a sense of dread. And yet that sense of dread is worth walking through, not away from. Okay, so this morning, uh, I've called this message, The Road to Demask Us. And we've been talking about the stories that we live and how we can be the hero of our own story. This morning, we're going to talk about the hero's inner journey, what's happening in the heart of the hero. It's a journey from living in fear to living courageously. And that requires us to take off the masks that we wear, hence the road to demask us. I would ask you a question this morning. What is it that you're afraid of? What are you afraid of? Maybe the first thing that comes to mind is something quite surface level like spiders, snakes, public speaking or 
people walking into you when you're on the toilet in a public toilet and the lock's broken and it was the only cubicle left and you're trying to do the thing where you're sitting on the toilet and also leaning forward to hold the door closed to make sure nobody can come in. Maybe that's your fear. Maybe not. Am I the only person who does that? Oh, Lord, help me. Please, no one else come into the cubicle. But if you take it a little deeper, you might find some, something more poignant in your fears, like you don't want to die alone. Or maybe you don't want your brain to stop working. Or maybe you don't want to be forgotten. That kind of fear, it's good to think about, but I want to go even deeper. Oh, that was quick, wasn't it? Just going... It's like, it's like I've just, um, just dived off the edge. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> the kind of fear that stands at the center of a character's identity is even deeper than those kinds of fears. The kinds of fears that stand at the center of a character's identity are things like fear of failure, fear of rejection, fear of abandonment, Fear of disappointing and fear of disappointment. Fear of embarrassment, fear of change, or fear of criticism. If you can figure out what you are really afraid of, you will see that that fear often outworks itself in every area of your life. In your thinking, in your patterns of your behavior, in your relationships. That fear is affecting the way that you live. So you might ask yourself, well, where did that fear come from? Every hero that undergoes a transformative journey carries a wound with them. Not every hero does. Some heroes are action movie heroes and they don't go through an inner transformation. They just have to fight really, really, really hard to stop the bad guy. But even in some good action movies, the, the hero goes through a transformative journey. And a hero that does that is afraid of something. And that fear comes from a wound. The wound is something in their past that hurt them deeply. It could be a once-off event, like in The Lion King, when Simba's father, Mufasa, is killed by the stampede. That's his wound. Or it could be a sustained experience in your past, like in Legally Blonde, where Elle talks about, she gives us a glimpse at the fact that she's been discriminated against for being blonde. That's her wound. It's not one moment. It's a sustained experience. And from that wound, the hero, we're going to do, just so you're prepared, we're going to do a little bit of like story theory, and then we're going to bring it all back to what are we supposed to do with that? Is that all right? We've kind of been doing that all along, but a little bit heavier this morning. Okay, so from that wound, the hero forms a belief. It's normally a belief about themselves or about how they see the world. So for Ellen Legally Blonde, she figures that I am a beautiful blonde and that's all that I'll ever be. So my value is in my outward appearance. In The Lion King, Simba thinks that he's responsible for his father's death and that if he 
ever was confronted by the pride, then he would be rejected. And so the belief is never true, but it's always logical. And you and I do the same thing. We're hurt by wounds in our past, and that leads us to believe something about ourselves or the world that's logical but untrue. Turn to the person next to you and say, it's not true. Once the hero has a belief, that belief accommodates a fear. Now the hero is afraid of experiencing that pain again. And so they will do whatever it takes to not have to face that fear. And to do that, the hero does what we call creating an identity. So the hero's identity is like the mask that they wear. That's the face they put on to present to the world to protect themselves from ever having to face that kind of pain again. The identity is like emotional armor. And that makes sense because if we were vulnerable all the time with everybody, we would just be like unloading all our stuff all the time. And that's not practical. You just can't go through life like that. But when we form this identity, the risk is, and what happens to the hero, we start to believe the identity, that is who I am. And that's where the problem lies. So <clears throat> the identity is what the hero presents to the world, but it's a false self. So for Elle Woods, she literally pours all of her effort into trying to look the part. When she thinks she's going to be proposed to, what does she do? I need the perfect outfit for this occasion. When she's going to go to law school, what does she do? She needs the right, like, fluffy pen and notebook. And if she's going to study hard, she needs the right kind of pink computer. It's all the... <laughs> yeah. It's all the things that make her look the part. But that's, that's in line with what the image she's created in her mind because she doesn't think there's anything valuable on the inside. She thinks she just has to appear to be the right thing. So for Simba, in his identity, he embraces Hakuna Matata. He puts on the mask that says, I just don't care, no worries. He runs and hides from his responsibility and his family because he doesn't want to have to face the pain of his father's de death and the guilt that he feels from that. And so the last thing, in wearing that mask, the hero is hiding their true essence. That's what we call the truth behind the identity. So if the identity is like a false self, the essence is their true self, if you were able to strip away all that emotional armor. Or it's the potential that the person might become if they can find the courage to really go after what they long for. And so under Elle Wood's mask is a really strong and smart woman that she can't yet see. And we see that at the beginning because there's a shop clerk who tries to take advantage of her and says, you know, oh, she says to her colleague, she says, I, there's nothing I like more than a dumb blonde with daddy's plastic. And she pulls a dress off the clearance shelf 
takes the discount label off and walks over to L and says, have you seen this? It just came in. And L is smart. She doesn't know it, but she's smart. She says, oh, is this the cross-stitch hem? And she says, yes, it's one of a kind. And she says, oh, is it this kind of a cross-stitch fabric? And she's like, yeah, yeah, it's amazing. It's really good, one of a kind. She said, actually, that's impossible to do that kind of a stitch with that kind of fabric because you would tear the fabric. And so uh, if you think that you're going to get full price out of me just because um, I'm some stupid bimbo, then you've got something else coming. Because I saw this dress in June edition of Vogue last year, and I know for a fact that it'd be sitting on your clearance shelf, and the, the shop clerk's like, oh, okay, wrong person to pick. She's smart. She doesn't know it yet. So we catch a glimpse of her essence, and that's what she's going to become. She's going to become a person who's in touch with and know the value of herself on the inside and the smarts that she has. And there's something about like sticking up for justice there as well because she's going to become a lawyer. Under Simba's carefree mask is a king who remembers who he is. Simba, remember who you are. And that his father lives in him. And so to the Christian worldview, the essence is who you and I are created to be. The essence is how God sees you. The essence is why God changes people's names all the time. Because we've formed an identity around a certain thing. And he says, no, no, that's not how I see you. I see you like Peter the Rock. Which is what he says to a guy called Simon, who is anything but a rock. And keeps floundering and fluffing around. So the road to demask us then is the journey from living in fear behind the mask of the identity we've created to living courageously in the truth of who we were created to be. This is the kind of transformation that stands as a pillar in the New Testament when the Apostle Paul is transformed on the road to Damascus. Everybody say Damascus. Everybody say Damascus. Everybody say Brendan. That's clever. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I said, oh, yeah, if you say so. Uh, so, <clears throat> we're going to unpack quickly the Apostle Paul's conversion. In, in the book of Acts, the story is told three times. It's clearly significant. It's told in Acts 9, in Acts 22, and in Acts 26. And in 22, he gives this account as he's giving his defense because he's been arrested and put in prison. So, he gives this uh, defense for, why he, for, for what happened to him. So in, uh, in Acts 22 verse 1 says this, Brothers and esteemed fathers, Paul said, Listen to me as I offer my defense. When they heard him speaking in their own language, the silence was even greater. Then Paul said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, and I was brought up and educated here in Jerusalem under Gamaliel. I probably should have tried saying these words out loud before coming here this morning. As his student, I was carefully trained in our Jewish laws and customs. So we get an insight into Paul's wound. It's a sustained experience. In another, in another version of the story, he says, I was raised in the strictest sect in the Jewish religion. So here's a man who's been brought up under strict authoritarian rule. And his belief then that comes from that wound is that 
It's by obedience to the law that we are made right with God. He says, I became very zealous to honor God in everything I did, just like all of you today. And I persecuted the followers of the way, hounding some to death, arresting both men and women and throwing them in prison. I think that his fear from that belief is that if he or the Jews were to abandon the way of God, like they had done in stories of old, like the exile, then something terrible will happen. He's afraid that he or the Jews will abandon the way of God. It's like the fear of a child that's been raised by strict or overbearing parents. If they fail to live up to their parents' expectations or demands or rules, something terrible will happen. And so they live their lives in a state of fear. His identity, therefore, is framed as a zealous Pharisee who has dedicated his life to stopping the Jews from abandoning the law. Don't do the wrong thing because you're going to wreck it for all of us. That's how the original Paul Saul sees the world. And so he's going to do that and make sure people obey the letter of the law no matter what it takes. And for him, what it takes is killing people who have seemingly abandoned the way of the Lord. Now, that in itself is self-defeating because by killing people, he is abandoning the way of God, the heart of the law. But he's so afraid that he or others would abandon the true way that he's willing to go to great lengths to stop people. Okay, he says, The high priest and the whole council of elders can testify that this is so. For I received letters from them to our Jewish brothers in Damascus, authorizing me to bring the followers of the way from there to Jerusalem in chains to be punished. So his mask is... He, the, the image that he presents to the world is a Jew who is favored by God because he perfectly obeys the letter of the law, even though he's abandoned the, the heart of the law and is executing believers to maintain his perfect image. He's, he goes on. As I was on the road approaching Damascus about noon, a very bright light from heaven suddenly shone down on me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus the Nazarene, the one you are persecuting. The people with me saw the light but didn't understand the voice speaking to me. I asked, what should I do, Lord? And the Lord told me, get up and go into Damascus. There you will be told everything you are to do. I love that God calls him on to where he was going anyway, but just with a different purpose. I was blinded by the intense light and had, be, had to be led by the hand to Damascus by my companions. A man named Ananias lived there. He was a godly, deeply devoted to the law and well regarded by all the Jews of Damascus. He came and stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, regain your sight. And that very moment I could see him. Then he told me, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and hear him speak. For you are to be his witness, telling everyone what you have seen and heard. What are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized. Have your sins washed away by calling on the name of the Lord. And in that moment, 
Ananias reveals to Paul his essence that's on the inside of him. He's a zealous apostle who has been given his life, who has given his life into the hands of Jesus and has been is called now to bring the good news to the non-Jews, to the Gentiles. The beauty of this story to me is that Paul's greatest fear is that he would abandon the way of the Lord. And that is exactly the fear that God leads him straight into. Because in that moment, when he sees the light from heaven, he has to abandon his pursuit of what he thought was the way of the Lord and totally do a 180 and embrace the Jesus that he was persecuting. And so God is actually leading him straight into the depths of the very fear that consumes him. If you thought that God's mission for your life was to take you as far away from your fears as possible, then I'm sorry to say I think you are mistaken. How do we change? How are you and I transformed? How do we take off our mask and fully embrace our essence? It happens on the road to Damascus. That's what happens on your way of your adventure. More and more, you will catch glimpses of who God has created you to be. The version of yourself which is fully connected with people around you, the world around you, and with your God. You will catch glimpses of that essence and you'll loosen your grip on your mask. And there will be points in your life when you're faced with the choice to fully commit to your essence. And if you can find the courage to face your fear and risk being hurt again, then you'll be crossing over that point of no return, nailing your identity to the cross, dying to your old self, and allowing your true nature to emerge. Thank you, Ash. It sounds a little complicated, though, so I want to boil it right down to something that you can take home with you. Because if you left this place and you decided you were going to go and uncover your old wounds, unpackage your false beliefs, and commit yourself to taking off your masks, asking God to reveal more and more of your essence, that would be a fantastic thing. But it's quite complicated and difficult to do. Doesn't mean you shouldn't try and do it. If you're up for it, do it. But it's, it's not particularly portable and not easy to do quickly when you have to make a decision of which way am I going to go. And so at the center of our internal struggle, our inner conflict between our identity and our essence, there is a battle between fear and faith. Faith is from God, fear is not. 2 Timothy 1 verse 7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. So, in that, I, would, oh, I read it so much faster than the computer was able to handle it. Oh, good. Don't fall into the trap of thinking that fear is the enemy. It's not from God, but it, it's not a signpost to say run the other way. On the contrary, fear is something that is meant to be overcome, not run from. If you run away from things that make you afraid... What does that mean you're doing? If, you've, if, you, if you're afraid of something, 
and your response to that is to run the other way, are you not then living in fear? So power, love, and a sound mind are there to lead you through your darkest fears. So the portable version of this, when you come to any kind of decision in your life, anything that you feel afraid of, when you notice that you are afraid, that's a signal to you to say, walk forwards. Walk towards that which you are afraid of. Jordan, I'll get you on. Fear not, for I am with you, says the Lord. Not avoid fear, for it's evil, says the Lord. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Not though I walk away from the valley of the shadow of death. Could there be anything that sounds more frightening than that? Maybe the valley of the shadow of public speaking. Possibly, it's just one step above that. It sounds pretty terrifying, doesn't it? And yet God says, I'm going to take you through the valley. Joseph Campbell says, The cave you fear to enter holds the treasure that you seek. Why don't you stand with me? The message this morning is... Do what makes you afraid. When you can find courage to do what makes you afraid, you will be embracing the truth of what God has imparted into you from the beginning. You'll be stepping into the person that He's created you to be. That's, that requires faith to be switched on on the inside of you. So we're going to spend a little bit of time here in the presence of God as we wrap up. And I would invite you to consider where you are and what's happening in your heart. You may discover that there are wounds that you've carried for many years and you thought that they were dealt with and yet still they're not healed. Those wounds have led to false beliefs about who you are. And now you live in a place of fear. That spirit of fear has not come from God. But it is a signpost to tell you where to go. He's calling you through that. And on the other side of that fear is a version of yourself that is more connected, more confident, stronger, more, more holy, more godly, more connected, more fulfilled. There is a version of yourself that is able to finish your adventure. And if you've not yet walked through the deepest, darkest of all your fears, then you're not yet the person who can complete your story. Why don't you close your eyes wherever you are? I just have to give you the opportunity. I want to give you the opportunity. 
If you don't know Jesus, if you've never asked Him into your heart, if you're here or online, and you want to do that this morning, you want to step into a relationship with Him that He might guide you. Maybe you feel like there's a knocking on your heart that says, hey, I want in. I want to be involved in your life. I want you to be following after me. A little bit like Paul on the road. Hey, hey, i got a plan for you that's different from the plan you had for yourself. If you're here this morning and you want to commit your life into the hands of Jesus, I want to give you the opportunity to do that. I would love for you to raise your hand here or online in the chat so that one of our team knows who you are. We're going to pray with you and we're going to help you to follow Jesus and start that walk. We'll be like Ananias who comes and prays for you and imparts the Spirit of God. So if that's you here this morning, I would ask you just raise your hand right now so one of our team can see it and we'll pray with you. For everybody else, why don't you just keep your eyes closed, stay in that place, and we're going to sing this song one more time. And as we do so, I would ask you to open your heart, open your mind. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you? What paths does He want you to lead down that maybe you thought were overgrown, that you thought were closed, that you thought were not relevant anymore? I believe that God's going to take people back here this morning to see things that they haven't wanted to look at in a very long time. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Let me pray for you before we do that. Father, I thank you that you have a plan and a purpose for every one of us. There is a version of ourselves that is fuller, bolder, more confident, uh, that is more faith-filled and has you close and with us. Lord, I pray that you would take us through our fears into that person. Lord, I pray you speak to us here this morning about the way that you want us to go in Jesus' name.